Good to see everyone this morning. Uh, every week when we gather together and open up God's word, uh, it's often right our prayer and our aim that God will use this time to help us learn something uh, or realize something or be reminded of something. And I want to add to that this morning that I also hope and have been praying that we'll feel something this morning. I'd invite everyone for just a second here. Take a deep breath. Yeah, and you can let it out too. Go ahead and do that too. <laughs> and to, when, we, when we can just sometimes stop and take a deep breath, I love that Justin just led us in that last prayerful song, uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. When I was back there and I heard him doing that, I just stopped and just kind of held out my hands. And it's good to welcome the Holy Spirit. It's good to stop, take a deep breath and realize that God is welcome, uh, not just in this place as we're gathered together, which is its own beautiful thing, but the Holy Spirit is welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, right? We need him in all aspects of our lives, and it's good to just stop. And so the thing that I'm hoping that we'll feel this morning as we stop and take a deep breath is a reminder and a, and a sense of peace that God is taking care of you and of me. Or that at least he wants to, if we'll let him. We're in this series in which we're talking about our money, our stuff, our finances, our relationship to it. And sometimes that can be a stressful thing. And I just want this morning to be a time where we stop and take a deep breath and realize that God is taking care of all of that. See, the good life, we're told, is about what we can accomplish and accumulate, right? But the great life is one in which uh, we can trust God. A great life is based on who we're trusting, how well we can rest in him and the joyful generosity that flows from that. And that's what we want to explore this morning. See, we here at Outlook believe that what Jesus teaches is the absolute best and wisest way to live. It's just that simple. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We need to be taught by and listen to Jesus himself. And Jesus has already taught us some pretty amazing things when it comes to this subject, a subject he did not, did not shy away from, this subject of our own relationship with our money. He said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a powerful and true principle. You cannot serve both God and money, he also warned and reminded us. And uh, as he says this, he then, let's just take one more deep breath as he Right after he says this statement right here, he goes into the passage we're about to read. And my prayer is that, that we'll let those words land on us exactly the way they're meant to land for each of us this morning. This is Jesus and what he's about to say as he's just reminded us about how our treasure and our hearts are connected and how we can't serve both God and money. And then he says this, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you'll have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. And how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed as beautifully as they are. 
And if God clothes so wonderfully the wildflowers that are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that these words will indeed land on our hearts just as you want them to for each of us this morning. Whatever burdens and worries we carried in here today, Lord, let your voice be the one we hear that's relieving us of those burdens and calling us away from those worries and pressures, reminding us that you, God, take care of us, good care, thoughtful, attentive care of us. We thank you that that's true, and we ask you to use this time to help us feel that peace and trust in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, what we're hearing Jesus talk about here is trust. Key word here, trust. The antidote to worry and a marker of faith. In fact, we'll see faith means trust. The words are really quite interchangeable. Now, this is not easy, if we're honest. It does not come naturally, this idea of trusting when it comes to our finances, our stuff, our, our provisions and our possessions. And I found that there are two sides to our trust troubles, and we see this bearing out in Scripture. The two sides of our trust troubles look like this. We trust our money more than God. Jesus warned us that could happen. And we don't trust God with our money. So let's move through this together. Back to Jesus' teaching here. Verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about your everyday life, whether you'll have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So here we go. Jesus is calling out right off the bat here the allure of stuff and the pull of possessions that happens in all of our lives, what we have and what we want to have, right? Uh, our, uh, uh, the idea that life is all about what I can get. That's what the good life from the world's perspective is sold as being. And if you put your dream board together just right and send out enough positive vibes that you're going to get all the stuff that you'd really like to have in life, right? That's the kind of the message that we can often be given. But Jesus is saying life is not all about that. In fact, life is about far more than that. Verse 26, look at the birds. He calls our attention to them. Don't they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Now, the implication of that question is, yes, you are human beings made in God's image with eternal souls who can have a relationship with him. Yes, God takes care of the birds. He's not going to forget about you, Jesus says. Now, he's not condemning the act of storing away in barns, so to speak, or having a savings for the future. But he is calling out putting our trust. Again, that's the key word, trust there. Relying on that for our security, for our peace. And we're going to hear more about this next week in one of his parables. Doing so much of that saving and storing away that we forget to give and to share. Verse 27, he asks, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? 
We talk a lot about mental health here at Outlook. We recognize how much that overlaps with our spiritual health and how as we grow and mature spiritually, uh, it also adds a lot of really good things to our mental health. And when you apply that idea or look at money through the lens of mental health, you realize just how much anxiety. What are Jesus' three first words here in this passage? Do not worry. How much anxiety uh, affects our mental health and how much of our anxiety comes from often worries and pressures about our money. Pressure is a key word there. We, we can often feel as though when it comes to our, our earning and our providing and our ability to, to, to make things happen financially, that it's all up to us. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves, or at least we can. Jesus seems to know this and understand it, which is exactly why he's including this teaching in this famous Sermon on the Mount. He knows it's something we need to hear, and he dedicates quite a bit of space to this very subject. He knows our lives can end up being dominated by the anxieties and worries and pressures that come from finances and stuff and are we going to have enough to eat and on and on. Jesus is telling us here it's not all up to us. This is really good news. He's reminding us that our Heavenly Father knows us, loves us, sees us, keeps His eye on us, never takes His eye off of us, and is a reliable and rich provider to us. It's not all up to us. That is good news this morning. It's not all up to you. See, in our worry, if you think about it like this, when we worry, especially about finances, in a way we're using our mental energy to try to extend, right? To try to stretch, stretch that dollar, stretch that paycheck, stretch our potential, figure out how we can get that raise or, 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 or that promotion, figure out how we can hit that sales goal, whatever it might be. And we worry and we stress and we're trying to kind of almost reach out so we can grasp it all, all that we think we need. But Jesus says here that anxiety actually subtracts from our lives. Who of you by worrying can add a single, even a single hour, he says, to your life? You can't. Anxiety, in fact, subtracts hours from our lives, right? When we worry, We're just sacrificing today energy for tomorrow possibility or perhaps not even probability. In Proverbs 28, it says, a grasping person stirs up trouble, at least certainly in themselves. But trust in God brings a sense of well-being. There's that feeling that I hope we can walk out of here with a little bit today, a reminder that God can be trusted and that brings a sense of of well-being, that trust brings peace. But like I've said, and it's true in my own life, I found few things rock my peace quite like financial troubles. Maybe you can relate. A lot of other things can go wrong or bad, but financial troubles can really get my attention. Pressures. But I need to hear these words from Philippians 4, and they come to mind in moments like this, and I want you to hear them. In fact, this is a great passage to commit to memory. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That when we are tempted to feel anxious We hear Jesus saying it. We hear Paul reiterating it. We hear it in the ancient Proverbs. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. 
about money or anything else, but instead make your needs known to God and let his peace follow that trust. Place your trust, get peace in exchange. Again, this does not come naturally. It does not come easily. It's something worth being reminded of as often as we can be because financial pressures, they don't let up, do they? And those worries are always there. But God is also always there. Now, I confess this has not been always easy for me. It continues to not be easy for me, if I'm being honest. People issues worry and concern me most, no doubt. But a close second is financial worries, particularly when it comes to our church's finances. I worry and I feel the pressure and I can be tempted to think, God, what, what, what's going to happen next? Or will we make it through? Or when times are tight and we've had tight times over our years. It's tempting for me to think, what can I do about it? Or what's wrong? Or what, what, what should I be doing differently? I put a lot of pressure on myself and I constantly have to remember what we're talking about here. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. It is a deliberate, ongoing choice. And you can probably relate in your own life and in all the endeavors that you find yourself involved in. This, these three words, do not worry, ring in our ears and we take the burdens and we put the pressure on ourselves and then we have to just constantly give them back to God. Amen? We have to constantly re-release. Oh yeah, I remember, don't worry. Okay, don't be anxious. Okay. Present my request to God. Okay, I'll do that again. I'll do that for the thousandth time. I'll do that for the 10,000th time, right? Keep giving our concerns to the Lord. I believe that is what Jesus is teaching us to do here. Verse 28, and why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. Again, from birds now to flowers. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their own clothes. Solomon in all his splendor, though, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God clothes so wonderfully the wildflowers that are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Again, God God is calling us. And in in this teaching of Jesus, like I said, he's devoting a lot of time to this. And is he repeating himself? Absolutely. Is he doing it on purpose? You know he is. Because he knows we need to hear it. And if we didn't catch it the first time, he wants us to hear it again the second time. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Remember, God takes care of them. God will take care of you. He is calling us, deep breath, to rest and to trust in God's supply and care and provision. And the implication, of course, is we don't always do this, right? We don't always trust God to provide. And like I said, One side of our trust troubles is that we trust our money more than God. We'll feel peace all right when we think our bank balance is where it needs to be, when we have enough in reserve or when the the raise is coming through. Now I'll feel some peace. Maybe not for long, but that's when I'll feel peace. That's putting our trust in our money. We can back up and realize that peace is available to us regardless of that bank balance now. We're putting our trust in God. Think about it like this. This is a, I always find this to be a pretty potent observation. We print in God we trust on our money almost as if we knew we needed the constant reminder to not trust our money. Every time you look at that bill, we're reminded, hey, don't trust this. Trust in God. 
Sounds a lot like what Jesus has told us, right? You can't serve both God and money. It's as if, if we weren't careful, we realized we'd trust the money instead of God. So we print it right there as a memo, a reminder to us, don't trust this, trust God. This is just money. It's just money. And you cannot serve this and God. So do not begin to put your trust here. And it is a reminder that we probably all need pretty regularly. Jesus warned us money can be a huge rival for God, to God in our lives. And this shows up in what we're seeing here. Back to Proverbs in chapter 11, it says, those who trust in their wealth will wither, but the righteous will thrive like leafy trees. Now the question, to whom do I trust my life? That's a, that's a pivotal question. And when we put our trust in wealth, we're answering it in a way that won't bring anything good to us, right? When the answer is God, the one who created me, designed me, knows me, loves me, then we put ourselves on a path that's expansive and flourishing. But when the answer is me, I trust me with my life, I trust my own power, even my own earning power, etc., then I've committed myself to a small and shrunken life, a withering life, really, one that will eventually collapse in on itself. My life becomes a very small place to be if I'm the king of that, right? Ain't Job, uh, in the ancient book of Job in the Old Testament, Job makes a statement about his own, very much applicable to this uh, subject in his own situation. And he says, have I put my trust in money or felt secure because of my gold? Have I gloated about my wealth and all that I own? If so, I should be punished by the judges, for it would mean I had denied the God of heaven. Job seemed to know the score. He understood just what we're seeing today, what we're hearing Jesus teach, what we hear Paul talk about. Job seemed to understand that if I were to place my trust in my riches, and he had riches, and if I were to boast about my wealth, and he had wealth, then that would be, he knew, the same as denying the goodness of God. Who should I boast in? I should boast in the Lord. Where should I put my trust? I should put my trust in God. And when I begin to put my trust in my finances or begin to boast in my wealth, I have, by definition, removed God from the throne of my life and put my wealth there instead. Job seemed to know that so long ago. And it's exactly what Jesus is teaching us. And we hear Paul say the same thing. This letter that uh, Paul wrote a couple of letters to a guy named Timothy, who was a pastor of a church, and he gives him instruction as to the kinds of things he needs to help his people with, teach his people, share with his people at, the, at, at his church. And at one point he says to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. This sounds just like Job and just like Jesus. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. This has been a human condition from the beginning, right? We humans will tend to, left to ourselves, trust in our stuff. Their trust, he says, instead should be in God. Who? Richly provides. Someone say richly provides. All that we need for our enjoyment. This sounds a lot like what Jesus is teaching us. Paul goes on, tell them to use their money to do good. That they should be rich in good deeds and generous to those in need and always be ready to share with others. Richly providing. This is who our God is. It's who Jesus is teaching uh, that God is, and it's who Paul seems to know that God is. 
And the key is our generosity. How do, we, how do we tap into this? How do we experience this? How do we really take this truth from being something we can nod our head to, say, okay, yeah, yeah, I believe that, to something we really feel so we can take that deep breath and rest and trust in God? The key is generosity. Be rich in good works and generous, Paul says to them. And we find it again and again and again in the scriptures. More on that, though, in a minute. Back to Jesus So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people who don't yet know God. That was all us at one point. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. When things dominate, right, then we begin to see that our life is out of balance. Things are getting out of whack. There's another translation that puts it like this. Uh, Folks who don't know yet know God chase after all these things, right? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? They chase after these things. That's a restless life. We are, and we've all been there, running breathlessly after all the stuff, right? All the things the world promises will bring fulfillment. We chase them or can be tempted to. We end up breathless and the pursuit is pointless in the end. But instead, we can stop, center ourselves, take a deep breath, and rest and trust in where all the things that we need will really come from. Trust in God. Rest in Him. Trust Him to meet all your needs. See, a lack of trust, and we all experience it, is saying that God can't take care of us, or at least that He won't take care of us in the way we want, so we'll take care of that. But it's been said that true wealth is not measured by our bank balance, but by a balanced heart full of peace and rest, and that we can experience that. Jesus wraps up this portion of his preaching with this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the present, gracious, good will of God. Make that the number one aim of your life. And all these things will be added to you. Another translation puts it that way. All that other stuff, it'll come just in the way it needs to come, in the way your father wants to take care of you. We don't trust, we put too much trust in our money, and we don't trust God with our money. But instead, God's calling us here to trust him with everything, including our money. We put it in his hands instead of grasping and keeping it in ours. Remember, that's what faith means. Faith means trust. It means confidence. And again, this is always expressed through joyful, intentional, the joyful, intentional practice of generosity and giving. It just is. It always has been. This is the key that unlocks this reality for us. It's the way we experience it. God is a giver. Giving is what love does when we experience his love and are filled with his love and begin to love what he loves, the church, other people, this world. Then we become more like him. He always invites us to be givers too and to be more like him, to follow in his footsteps. That's why we read in places like Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, we read that God even says, test me in this. I can be trusted to take good care of you. 
And Jesus is saying the same thing. Don't forget your father is reliable and he cares about you. He can be trusted to provide. God can be trusted with our whole lives, including our relationship with our finances and possessions. So when we give, as we just read here in Proverbs, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth. This steady practice of taking some of what God has given, of all that God has given me, and investing it back in his kingdom has been something that God asks his people to do from the very beginning. When we do that, we are not buying his care. We are not putting him in our debt as if he owes us. But what we are doing is making clear our trust in him and, as Proverbs put it, our honor of him. And yes, as that verse said, this brings blessing, the image of overflowing barns and vats, right? The idea that you'll have more than enough, that your father in heaven is rich and wants to richly provide. That is certainly a a recurring theme in the scripture, this idea of blessing. But this should be looked at, I think, in in a broader light. God does bless us as we find, tap into generosity and we begin to give and we make some disciplined decisions to do that in a steady way. But one of the parts of that blessing is wisdom. We want to think sometimes as blessing or we read a passage like that one in Proverbs or it gets really mishandled by, you know, TV preachers or whoever into this idea that you're going to give and then God's, God's going to give financially right back to you in some sort of force multiplier that that will make you rich or some nonsense like that. We want to think of blessing as some magic wand that brings abundance. Um, But what if the real blessing is becoming wise, worry-free people with abundant hearts who are living the Jesus-promised abundant life? That we are becoming, by this disciplined act of giving, we are seeking God's wisdom and financial decisions. That is part of trusting him. And now we are becoming the sort of people who are participating in life with God. And that changes you. That grows you. That increases you. And yes, you make better decisions. And yes, it brings blessing of all kinds, both serendipitous ones and the kind that just come from being uh, wiser and making better decisions, seeking God's wisdom. I believe all of this is really part of the promise of blessing when we as people begin to obey God and give in a steady, generous, joyful way. And then God moves us, really. What God is doing is he moves us from a tithe. That's the Old Testament standard of giving. We talked a little bit about that last week. What's most important from a New Testament perspective is that each of us is praying and discerning, God, what percentage of my income do you want me to steadily and joyfully invest back into the church, into your kingdom, into into your work in the world? But he moves us from that tithe or whatever percentage that is to everything. In other words, when I'm able to joyfully and freely let go of chunks of money that have been put into my personal budget, and I'm able to do that joyfully, then what happens is I'm able to do it more and more. It becomes uh, less hard for me to do that, and pretty soon it moves from a uh, a portion to everything. God, it's all yours. Go ahead and just take it all. Uh, Yeah, I'll have to use some of it to feed my family and to pay the light bill and on and on. But I want all of it to be for your glory. And I want your involvement in all of it. And I want your wisdom in all of it. And I want to do as much good as I can with all of it. That's what begins to happen. That portion that he asks us to give 
has an influence on how we see the rest of it. And we begin to realize if we can't trust him with this, how can we trust him with everything else? So this idea of giving, it really forges the beginning of our trusting walk with him. When I give, I'm declaring that I trust God and not money. I'm declaring that I know he's going, I can trust him regardless of my circumstances. That's why we, we do, we, whenever we talk about this, we, we do this thing. It's a little bit tongue in cheek, but really it's for real. And that's our 90 day tithing guarantee, right? The idea that if, if you want to take seriously what God has been saying for millennia here about steadily giving into his kingdom and the level of peace and provision that comes to you as you do that, as your heart follows your treasure, as you're breaking the back uh, uh, of money's power over you and you're no longer serving it, but now it's serving you and the kind of good things that are promised to happen in us as we make this decision to joyfully give a percentage of our income back to him. If you do that, whatever that percentage is for you, I'll never know, of course, for 90 days, and you realize, ah, that didn't really work. I don't really feel any differently, and my, my heart's not changed, and it hasn't really, I, I, I've not really, I don't really see uh, what God's talking about there. Then we'll find out, our bookkeeper will find out however much that was and give it right back. Now, that might seem kind of uh, goofy, but it's also uh, a real way to say that we believe we operate and live in a supernatural realm. We believe these things aren't just kind of fairy tales or platitudes that someone wrote down a long time ago. We believe they're a description of reality, of what happens in our human souls when we obey the one who made our human souls. We believe that there's something more than what's material and natural at work in this subject. I've heard some of you say to me as we're in this series, I've discovered you can't outgive God. And all I can say to that, of course, is amen. That there really is some sort of supernatural math that says when we give, we are given more to give. And that God is a giver and he loves to see us be givers as well. There's this moment in Philippians chapter 4, Paul, who went through a lot of hard times spreading the gospel in his known part of the world, in and out of jail, persecuted, uh, and uh, just, yeah, always, always in need, received a financial gift from some Christians who were helping him to be able to get the food and provisions that he needed. And he writes this to them. He says, at the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me from Epaphroditus. And then he equates their financial gift to their worship and devotion to God. They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he makes this promise slash kind of observation statement here. And the same God who takes care of me, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, these are the words of a person who believes what Jesus said in Matthew 6, what we've been reading this morning. This is just the application of that very truth that Jesus has laid out for us. Let me, uh, let me apply this uh, in kind of our modern day real life. We've said goodbye, uh, at least goodbye for now, to a couple of precious outlookers in the last uh, week or so. Uh, Georgia Mogul passed away uh, last week. She's been homebound for in recent years. She's, of course, been getting steady visits from us, but she did pass away. Her family had just a small private service. Keep, keep them all in your prayers, if you would. When we lose someone like a Georgia, uh, we remember just how short life can really be. She was just a precious and sweet lady. We also lost a guy named Larry Andrejack. Uh, Larry and Lois 
our wonderful people, and I was sitting with Lois this week because Larry's uh, celebration of life will be this Saturday afternoon uh, coming up next weekend. And so if you want details on that, you can call the church and we'll supply those. But I want to talk a minute about Larry because he and Lois made a decision in their lives that really apply to what we're talking about this morning. In 1990, when Larry turned 50, he declared that his favorite verse was 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live, uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. In that same year, God called him to leave his public education career to work in an organization called Grace and Truth Publishing Company, which required a move from the East Coast here to the Midwest. And it also required a lot less on the paycheck side of things. It was a big uh, undertaking and a big sacrifice for them to accept this position. He would be making much, much Less, But regardless, he spent the next 15 years writing and editing and working with other missionaries to publish and distribute free gospel literature to developing nations. He also preached and taught about Christ at churches, camps, and conferences in more than 25 states, as well as Canada, Europe, and Nigeria. And as I was sitting with Lois this week and we were planning the, the service for the next weekend, and we got to this point in the story, she told me, that when they made that decision to take that massive pay cut, they didn't know how it really wasn't going to work. He was, we didn't know how that would work, she said. We didn't know how that would work. It just did. It just did. And that's the math I'm talking about. That's the math that says on paper, the numbers might not all completely add up, and yet somehow God will make it add up. And yes, part of it came from the frugality and wisdom of the Andrejacks, a discipline and a set of decisions that God gave them the power to, uh, to, to understand and to, to make those decisions. And it also came from the kind of supernatural math that says, there's no real explaining how this all added up, but somehow at the end of our lives, we had everything we needed and we never lacked the whole time. And when I left that conversation with Lois, I found myself asking this question. If I'm not trusting God with my money, am I trusting God at all. If I'm not trusting God with my money, am I truly trusting God? If by my actions or my inactions or my propensity for anxiety or to think that I'm, it's all up to me or to try to keep or to control, am I saying that I can't or don't want to trust God with my stuff? And if that's true, then can I really say with any credibility that I'm trusting him with my soul? And see, it's giving, it's taking and discipline in a disciplined way, giving back to God some of what he gives us that declares this is in whom I trust. I won't forget it because I just keep doing it. I won't let myself forget it. Money expresses the commitment of our own human hearts and who our master is and who we trust and who is the source of all we need. So I hope this morning as we did a deep dive into this part of the overall subject that we're tackling in this series. I hope that in addition to maybe learning something or realizing something or being reminded of something, that we leave here feeling something. The ability to take a deep breath and remember, God is taking care of you, or at least he wants to, if we'll let him. That is the definition of a great life. I'd invite you to grab your bread and cup if you got one on the way in. 
every week we stop to remind ourselves of what really does make a great life, or maybe more accurately, who makes a great life. Jesus says that we should seek the kingdom of God above all else. And like I prayed earlier, no matter what we brought in to this moment, this from our week, whatever burdens or worries or pressures or anxieties or, or, or sadnesses that we brought, we always carve out this moment in which we say, but I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to seek his kingdom first. And when we take the bread and do as he asked us to do, we are reminding ourselves that he gave his body for us. Let's take and eat together. And when we take the cup, we are also declaring out loud and reminding ourselves that all that we want, that list may be long, but what we need, that comes from God. And he is our God indeed. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that these things are true. They're real. They're not just neat ideas or things that we should embroider on a pillow or put in a greeting card, but there are actually descriptions of how we should live our lives and we can rely on and trust them to be true. And so, Lord, help us when worries creep in or anxieties rise up to give it to you. To remember Jesus' words, do not worry. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And so, God, we declare today that you are trustworthy. Help us to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.